Hey everyone, this is Mark Heineman with the YPE Denver chapter. This episode was an awesome example of collaboration between the San Francisco and Denver YPE chapters to come together and interview an awesome guest. Prachi from the Bay Area connects with Tyler from Denver to interview Smritzi Mishra. They give an excellent intro to everyone on the show, so I won't go into that here, but I learned a ton from the interview and I'm sure you will too. This is exactly the kind of cross-chapter collaboration and discussion we're trying to generate. So if you're a listener and know of someone who you think would be interesting for the show, don't be afraid to reach out to us. We're happy to have new guests and co-hosts for the show as we progress the dialogue around energy and the future. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a career journey discussion with YPE, jointly co-hosted by the Denver and SF Bay Area chapters. I'm Raji Mehta, Senior Analyst covering EVs and NGLs at Wood McKinsey. For YPE, I lead our marketing efforts at the SF Bay Area chapter. I'm joined by my co-host, Tyler McKelly, Chief Engineer at Taprock Resources. He heads partnerships and collaboration at YPE Denver. Today, we are going to chat with Smriti Mishra, Director of Business Development and Strategy at Weavegrid. Weavegrid is a software provider that applies machine learning to help utilities integrate EVs at scale. Smriti has expertise in energy innovation, aggregation, and building industry collaborations. Prior to Weavegrid, she was a director at National Grid, a large Northeast utility where she led joint ventures for distributed energy for the unregulated business including investments of over $110 million in residential solar and storage. Smriti has also operated in demand response at NNOC, now NLX, in a general management function as a PNL owner. She earned her MBA from Harvard Business School and a bachelor's in physics from the University of Chicago. Wow, that's quite a journey. We'd love to hear more about how you got to where you are. But before we go any further, I'd like to welcome you to our chat today. We are very glad to have you. How are you doing, Smitty? I'm great. It's, it's really good to, to meet all of you and, and to get you know virtually introduced to the YPE crowd. Yeah, we're excited to have you. So great to kick things off. I think we have some fun questions for you. What's your superpower of choice? To get the ball rolling for me, you know, it's super hot in Denver at the moment. I think we're in almost a record heat wave, and I don't think hydration is a normal superpower, but... <laughs> Drinking a lot of PD light, I'd love to have some type of just unrelenting supply of electrolytes if that were a superpower. That's a strong one and very practical. <laughs> I think I'll pick flying. Uh, and maybe as, as it's always been something that's great to, to help with, you know, travel and seeing great places. But all the more so this year, if I could fly without a plane, I really discover that that would have been a, a huge asset. <laughs> no kidding. That would be a wonderful way to see the world. Um, so you're doing a lot of cool things right now. I'd like to rewind back a little bit and see things from the eyes of a younger Smriti. Um, so early career, what was your dream profession when you were entering college? Well, when I started college, I think I really just wanted to work at NASA or become an astronaut. You know, it didn't change that much from when I was 10 years old. <laughs> so I, I started college. I, I did end up majoring in physics. Um, I didn't think at first that I had the chops for physics. So, so I did some economics and math, but uh, but yeah, finished off with my 
degree, uh, studied astrophysics even. And so, so I got close and, and on the right track. Um, but, but I will say at the end, like it was doing research in, in dark matter when I was in college was, was really interesting and, and invigorating to be on the cutting edge of human knowledge. Like that's a really unique thing for academia. Um, but at the end of the day, I was like, you know what, I, I want more of a near term impact. And I'll, I'll pull my head out of the clouds and start thinking about what's, what's happening here and here and now. Yeah, that sounds very, very passion oriented that you've had a mission with it. I've had some friends at NASA who moved out of the private sector and back to NASA because they could believe in a mission and it really connected with them. And it sounds like that might be part yeah. of your career too, from the long term, but then pulling you into the near term. Can you talk about what really drives you and inspires you on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I mean, I am very focused on really making a difference in our climate world, right? And how do we make an impact um, not only for the people in their day-to-day lives today, where we're already starting to see changes happen, but but thinking long-term and, and for multi-generations. So, so the, the generational challenge has been what has driven me the most to, to think about energy and, and climate change. Um, to know that we are stewards of the world for, for each group, for, you know, I, I, Prachi knows that I very recently had a daughter um, and so, you know, I feel that responsibility as a parent all the more now to, to give her a world that, that I want her to enjoy living in. Yeah, most wow. definitely. Con- congratulations on that. Thanks. Yeah, but that's really cool. I mean, from being an astronaut to now being in energy. <laughs> so I guess at what point did you get interested in energy? You know, what did you do after college that incited that passion? You know, after college, I was, I think maybe like a lot of people confused about what I really wanted to do. So I joined a rotational program at at a company that um, my physics lab ordered from a lot and I respected a great deal. So that was McMaster Carr. Uh, That rotational program gave me exposure to so many different parts of a business. But what brought me to, to energy was thinking like, okay, I'm learning how a business operates really well, but I was missing that mission-driven passion that I had had when I wanted to work at NASA, when I was doing a lot more volunteer work. Um, And when I was an undergraduate, uh, the physics department chair had actually told me that he thought the next slew of jobs was, you know, ways to make a difference was going to be in the energy sector. I didn't know what that meant at the time. Then frankly, Al Gore's movie came out on, on an inconvenient truth. And I said, okay, this is where I feel my, my technical knowledge potentially really coming together with, uh, with where I can make a difference. No, that makes sense. So you had an idea, basically. You ha- That's the interesting part, right? You're in college. You are hearing from different people. You have some ideas, but then your ideas get influenced by the people you meet, right? And you thought energy could be a great field. So, so I guess, how did you make that pivot um, from, you know, doing the rotational program to getting into energy. I know that you pursued an MBA. So if you can talk a little about that journey, that would be very helpful. Yeah. So that's exactly why I went to business school. In my case, I said, okay, I've got this idea, but I don't really know what it means. I don't know how to do it. I I don't know. Uh, I, I just had so many open questions about the industry and what it would mean for my career and, and what the position for me like would be most meaningful for me to make that difference. So I said, okay, Business school is a great place to take time to be exploratory, to to go back to just the love of learning. And, and so for me, that's what business school meant as an opportunity. And so when I started business school, um, 
you know, there are a few elements that that made that great to me. I, I had considered going back for a very, you know, potentially master's in engineering to, to bring back that real technical side and, and make a difference from there. But what I had seen was that business had that opportunity to, to impact people uh, very directly. And that was very meaningful to me. So it's like, as I'm thinking about mission-driven work, um, it brings together both being able to think about all different parts and teams and, and how they interlock and work together. But, but also when I was at McMaster Carr, I was able to inter- supervise large teams, you know, really very early in my career. And my best days by far were when a person told me that I made a difference in their work. And, and our work lives are so much of, of who we are and, and our lives overall. And so I learned that being a manager is really a support function. And, and that was really important to me so that every day I could make the lives of my team better. Um, I said, okay, if I can combine that with a, an overarching mission for what I want to do, that, that's going to be really fulfilling for me. So I went to, to business school and I explored you know, a few different parts of the energy sector. I, I dabbled a little bit in biotech. Um, and, and ultimately just, you know, really paid attention to where my interests were drawn. Where did I feel that um, connection to what I was learning the most? And so, so that's when I, when I was embracing every chance to learn was started reading a lot of energy news and the industry news, talking to other professionals in the sector, and, and just felt myself drawn, not only convinced by the problem of climate change, but, but finding those avenues for solutions that, that I could have an impact on and, and really connecting with people in, in energy. And so I said, all right, this is what I'm really going to dedicate myself to. And, and I probably decided to dedicate myself to energy um, after the first three months of business school. So it was, it was drinking from a fire hose of learning. <laughs> yeah, you bring up the climate change issue and how how massive in my opinion it is. And with your, your new daughter and thinking about the future world that she's going to be inheriting from us, can you talk about how, how you're looking at that from, I hear some people being pessimistic, some people being optimistic, some goals being set for 2050, 2070. And yet there are real issues here now with wildfires across the U S and a lot of things that need to happen now. Like what, what is your roadmap for, for how we make change in a meaningful way soon. Yeah, living in the Bay Area, I can smell what the air pollution level we're at as soon as I step out the door during our increasing smoke seasons. So it's it's very real and, and what's happening from, uh, you know, the impacts of climate change are here today and it, it isn't a long-term problem anymore. Um, so there, I think all of the targets are really important for creating alignment. Uh, in large large organizations, in governments, and and so that's really critical. But but overall, there's nothing that we can't do too quickly, right? Every step is is useful, and I think it's great that there is a lot of work happening both on the the research side for new technologies, um, businesses that are really innovating. Utilities have gone through incredible changes uh, in the last five years, let let alone. 10 to 15 years, uh, where they're saying, okay, here's how do we incorporate those new technologies? Here's how we respond to innovation. Um, they are learning how to, to change more quickly. I, I was inspired by my work at National Grid, 
um, and by utility colleagues at a lot of organizations across the country and, and in other parts of the world. That's what, what gives me hope that change really will be happening at scale and soon. And is that change being driven from the national level, say the governmental level, or is a lot of that being driven by private enterprise? I am a strong believer in public and private partnerships. So my answer really is both. That makes sense. Collaboration is a great way to get things done. Yeah, you know, I'll I'll tell you at WeaveGrid, we'll talk more about this later, but we're still a pretty young startup, but quite early prioritized hiring a director of regulatory affairs. We said, you know, working with governments is, is an important part to not only our success, but but wanting to be a part of electrifying transportation broadly. Um, and if we're a mission-driven company, let's let's engage in that conversation. And so despite being, you know, a younger company who said this is a, a priority and a way to make a difference in the world. And so we're growing a, a policy team now very quickly. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And and I, I do want to get into more of what you do at WeaveGrid. But before I do that, I actually have a question about your MBA journey. Because it seems like when you enter the MBA course before you started, you were sort of thinking about energy, but you didn't have any concrete ideas, right? Now, two years is a very short time, actually, right? But within those two years, you landed a role at Enanoc covering Northeast electricity markets and owning a PNL portfolio of over 100 million. That's that's a lot, right? And that sounds like a success story of MBA. <laughs> now, you mentioned some of the things you did. You mentioned reading um, newsletters about energy, and you mentioned about talking to the people, talking to people at MBA, uh, right? But I guess can can you share a little more about what are the concrete steps or certain, you know, in your mind, certain levels that you reached that helped you get there? Yeah, and I'll say, you know, I also benefited from the timing, right? I finished my degree in 2012, um, which was in early stage for the energy sector, right? So it was an opportunity to to take on a lot of responsibilities quickly as as things were growing and learning. But but how did I position myself for that particular role where there was really a a lot of weight on my shoulders and and appreciate what I was trusted with? Um, First, I grew my technical knowledge very intentionally. So I mentioned already, you know, reading the industry news, um, but then making sure anything that showed up in those, you know, reports and articles that I didn't understand that I did the follow up work to to learn more about, um, took relevant classes that were about energy at the business school, but also audited classes at other parts of of Harvard, both at the, you know, on the the Kennedy School on on policy items, um, audited classes, even in the engineering departments. There was a great class on the technology behind energy and like a, whole, a lot of different energy resources. That was great. Cross-registered at MIT. And so t- thought very broadly about if I want to use my coursework for learning, where can I find all of the potential inputs? So that was great for me. Also read industry reports. There are a lot of great reports that come out from organizations like RMI and others. Um, so use those as an additional resource. And you know, I mentioned learning from peers um, who are in the business program, but but also when you're in business school, it's really a better time than any other to, to get to know folks in the industry who are current working professionals because everyone will take your call. People love supporting students. And, and I was really fortunate. 
I try and pay that forwards and and help folks who are also coming up in in their careers. And and so I, I really took advantage of that and spoke to people who were in very different roles and, and anything that I was interested in seeking out someone who was currently doing that job, not, and with a genuine goal of not trying to convince them to hire me specifically or or to give me a project, but but genuinely to learn and then take time to reflect on what what I had heard about a role and if I wanted to continue down that particular pathway. Uh, then during my business career, uh, my internship was a big part of of how I you know became better positioned to take on responsibilities in energy. So the internship I had was with a late stage startup called Tygo Energy. And I got a lot of meaty responsibilities. It, it wasn't focused on just one project. I was working on marketing a new product that was being launched, uh, published you know, a competitive data analysis, and to help them secure an NREL grant, uh, as well as a whole bunch of other smaller ad hoc work. And so felt really fortunate to find an internship where I could truly be a part of the team and, and contribute very quickly. So, so two years in some sense is a short amount of time, but there's, there's so much that you can do. That's, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that, Smriti. You know, when I'm hearing your talk, uh, what stands out to me is oftentimes when we are looking at things, we want to do everything, but it seems like what you did was kind of identify what you really want to do and go all in on that, right? Which I think is one of the keys to success because you really can't do get good at everything, but if you focus on one thing, and like you mentioned, right, taking all these different courses and doing internships, it builds on the knowledge and then you're ready to take on bigger responsibilities in that business function. So that that's a very, I think that's a very helpful tip for a lot of us who are trying to do and pivot uh, into different sectors. Yeah, to me, the most important thing was, you know, I can get in all of those broad inputs and and learn things broadly and then give myself time to reflect and listen to my gut, right? And say, okay, I've got the information now, the data sets there and, and let my gut bring out of it. Like, where should I, I focus and do next? Um, so, some fun feedback that I got from a professor in business school that I will never forget was, he told me that I disproportionately valued being happy. That when I was making my decisions about like where to invest in my career, like I was always wondering, like, am I going to enjoy this day to day? How will this feel, you know, in my, how will this engage my intellectual curiosity? How do I feel with this team? How do I feel with the culture? And, and those things were really important for me in, in every decision. And I think that has generally served me really well, that deciding how you'll be happy, like you'll, there are a lot of ways to convince yourself, talk yourself into a rational decision, but, but you, we generally thrive when we can come back to, I feel happy and engaged here. I think that's absolutely wonderful to ask that question about what makes you happy and where is the intersection between your happiness and and the good that can be done in the world. At YPE, there's a lot of us who are involved in more traditional sectors within industry. Um, I work in oil and gas, but have a deep passion for geothermal and other renewable energy and trying to look at how do we solve the world's energy problems. We need to bring energy to all parts of the world. 
And there are different, different requirements from sub-Saharan Africa to the highly industrialized parts of North America. When you're looking at these problems, I mean, do you have any advice for people that either are in industry currently or are wanting to get into energy and some questions that they might be asking themselves or some of the new exciting technologies? Essentially, what does the world need for us to be working on in the next five to 10 years? How should people set their sights? That really brings me back to the fact that there we need a lot of change to happen quickly. And so I hesitate to make a recommendation on where people broadly should set their sights because we need so many solutions. And so if I, it's most important to find the place where you your skills can make the greatest impact. So there are folks who will thrive in, in you know, deeply technical engineering, um, complex and cost-driven solutions that should be working on carbon capture. Right. And that might be something that feels like a longer term solution to, to get launched, but the work is going to be worthwhile and impactful. And, and there's a lot of progress that can be made today. Um, there are, are other folks that like their best in understanding how customers and how people make decisions. And so focusing on getting just every residential user to, to buy an electric vehicle, to get a smart thermostat, to, to think about energy efficiency and, and to improve customer education is going to be a, a way to make a massive difference. Those folks should do that. So I really think that the, the way that we are going to succeed as a community is for individuals to lean in on their own strengths. I think that sounds wonderful because there's such a diversity of mindsets out there, such a diversity of people and of passions and the next answer, oil and gas is convenient because it's such a concentrated energy source, but we've uh, we've been spoiled with that. And when we look at the different problems and the different energy densities that are provided by things, it's, I think you're right. It's going to take a lot of different skill sets. And to bring it back to what you said earlier, why not be happy while you're doing this? You know, I, I have one comment on the, the oil and gas sector is I had some friends in business school who are very focused on on making an impact on climate change um, and actually went to work for some of the oil majors. And, and the oil majors are doing work that is directly tied to clean tech. But, but the other half of it is you want to make reduce the carbon that's being put out into the air now. It can happen through making, you know, oil production a lot more efficient. Right. If they emitted less carbon, that could actually make an incredible difference today. So. It's, it's not somewhere that I, I ever see myself heading, but, but I don't, I am open to, to people who really make a, a wide range of choices. Yeah, you bring out an interesting point because a lot of times when we talk about clean energy, you know, we have people who are just focused on oil is bad, you know, let's focus on clean energy um, or, or vice versa, right? That, uh, but what you're talking about is not having a polarized view, but thinking about things more on a, in a more balanced fashion as to how can we reduce our energy consumption as we are moving towards a cleaner economy, right? And how can we make vehicles more energy efficient, right? Um, hybrid, moving towards hybrid vehicles, even if you can't move towards EVs right away. So things of that sort, I think they, they will contribute to our longer term goals. Which isn't to say that on the policy level, we shouldn't be making larger pushes to increase the amount of renewables that are coming onto the grid. Uh, there are 
large initiatives that are really important and frankly budgets that are really important to make sure making sure our infrastructure is is ready for for the 100% renewables world that we want to be creating absolutely no i i totally agree and i guess on that note like you mentioned to tyler earlier about how do people choose what to work on right and you said choose based on your strengths and on your interest i sometimes i think that that's easier said than done because <laughs> yeah because you know it's hard to kind of sit and think and really think about what is it that i want to do what is it that i really like to do right because around you you see so many things that kind of are vying for attention right in today's world of instagram and what what's so right you you really want to make an impact so sometimes that pressure to make an impact can be really high that you really don't think about what is it that i really want so i guess my question to you is how did you figure out what you really wanted and how was that that journey for you yeah it is hard but it reminds me of some other a really good advice that that i heard at one point which was imagine two people who are working really really hard to to do the right thing and putting everything out there the one who's enjoying the hard work is going to go further faster than the one who is dragging themselves right and so that to me was the difference and actually what i came back to in in assessing things for myself so i said i was doing all of this learning i had not become an expert on like every class that i audited or every article that i read um but i started to pay attention to like okay if i want to do some additional research what feels like a fun and an interesting read where i want to get into the weeds and i'm engaged on the problem and where do i feel like i'm dragging myself to try and and learn more so that was one tool i i used for engaging it and engaging myself the other is to sometimes think about like no reflect on some of what you're hearing around you and if you want to differentiate yourself what is something that you enjoy and other people aren't right in my first role at at Enernock I ended up in the weeds of you know ISO New England compliance tariffs <laughs> and and there were like some really fun puzzles there and and I really liked the people that I worked with at at ISO New England um and so i was very gay my particular approach to understanding that tariff i was i was ready to jump in and do and no one else wanted to learn the tariff and that was fine i could do it so so keep an, an eye out for opportunities where uh you'll enjoy doing something unique i think that's such a great recommendation on looking and being curious and seeing what else is out there what more you can learn and every opportunity most every opportunity that we have might not be the ideal one but there's something that we can learn something that we can help progress somewhere where we can contribute and it sounds like you've done that in in a lot of the different areas in your in your career some areas in school where you maybe had more ability to concentrate and say you were going to audit these courses or not but even in the professional world that there's still pieces you could learn from Yeah, I want to continue learning is a lifelong journey. <laughs> And so to to me I really look at in in any new role that I have, I I should be a little bit scared. That's a good sign that I'm stretching myself. Uh it means that I I have to step up, I have to learn something new in order to succeed. Don't want to be too scared because that means you're really setting yourself up for failure, right? Like there's there's a nice middle ground for for that stretch. but but that's all the balance i always try and find um and then to learn from the folks who enjoy doing the things that i don't right like that's the other thing is 
I, if I want to be, you know, help the whole industry move forwards, I, I know that I'm not going to be an expert in areas like project finance, which is critical for growing a lot of, you know, assets and um, having areas be successful. So I have friends who love project finance and, and I talk to them and hear what trends they're paying attention to and, and what they care about, right? So so keeping that you know intellectual diversity uh, among your your friends and colleagues and getting to know folks all, all over can, continues to be helpful to me. That's pretty great, Smriti. Uh, when you're talking about this, it makes me feel really happy because I think a lot of us have this pressure of, you know, I need to do things that I don't like. Sometimes that's true, right? A lot of times we have to do that, sure. but a lot of times people think that oh, this is lucrative, let me just do this. At some point, I will like it, right? Which I think is the wrong way to go about it because that is a recipe for you to for you to become miserable at some point. So what you're essentially saying is accept what you like, pursue it, at the same time, try to learn from people who do good at other things and try to collaborate with them, right? To sort of bring the synergies together, which is which I think is, is a great, great idea. A colleague recently reminded me of this concept of type one fun and type two fun. Type one fun is eating ice cream and it's fun while you're doing it. And work can be like that. You're reading a report of something you find super interesting and you roll with it. Type two fun is running a marathon. It is not fun (laughs) until you finish and then you feel accomplished and and that's great. Um, And there, you can definitely have jobs that are type two fun where this is stressful and a slog. Um, but when you have a, a vision in mind and you're like, I am doing this for a goal, it, it makes all the difference. Yeah. And then in the back country, you want to avoid the type three fun, which is you're not having fun while you're doing it. And you look back and say, I should not have done that. <laughs> oh. So for your career, you've you've transitioned a lot and worked in a lot of different areas, going from physics into MBA into any of these other positions, it seems like it's not a very traditional role or route rather. Like you have a civil engineer that goes in and then they go in and design bridges at the end of it. And I I think that some people can get caught up in this traditional mindset that I have to have this pathway mapped out. Have you seen a lot of value in being able to, to create this? Did you have a vision for what you wanted to do or did you develop it along the way and see here's an avenue that is interesting to me i'm going to explore it maybe i don't do it but question asking questions along the way getting these ideas and these intersections where your curiosities and skills align and then you go for it so i'm sometimes jealous of those people who who have a clear vision and focus and roll with it <laughs> i feel like sometimes my journey has been confusing and and really forces me into a lot of reflection, right? Every time those career changes happen, I go back to thinking, okay, what am I good at? This is hard to figure out. Okay, here's where I think I can do well next and here's how I'll be stretched, right? And and so for for me, it's it's been a mix of choice and opportunity, right? I've tried to be intentional where I can. Um, that can sometimes mean I'm more intentional about what I say no to while looking for the the moment that I want to say say yes to a role. Um, I also I've always early in my career I recognized that I could play a good role as a translator between different functions, departments, between different types of people from different backgrounds. 
Um, I, I've developed, I've been recognized for coming, coming to each of my roles with a great sense of empathy for, for people and for problems. And so that positions me well, not only to get the most out of the people who are, are on my teams, because I, I care a lot about each person as an individual, uh, but also bringing that same sense of empathy to whether it's clients or, or another department, if it's engineering and sales, and, and being able to understand, hey, here's what each side really needs to do best, and here's why any conflicts are coming up. And so I think that the all of the changes in my career have really helped me continue to grow that sense of empathy. And so that's been one of my the through lines for me. It's one of those soft skills that is so underappreciated or so undereducated, I think, in a lot of the technical world. But when it comes down to it, we are people and we're people working through problems and to understand like a person's life, where they're coming from, their background, how who they have dinner with at night. Um, it's just, I think it helps us make ever more out of our work. So it's great to hear you talking about that. We should always think about who are the people behind the problems for, for anything that we're working on. Uh, for, for teams that I've had, I've enjoyed, you know, not only helping people who are already strong get even better and, and find their passions and, and careers to, to push on even further, but, but even the folks who are struggling to say, is there a great way for you to in, thrive in, in a current role or is there another role that would actually make you much happier and, and you would you know, succeed and find yourself contributing in, in a big way uh, in another area and, and helping people make those connections? And so I try and think about like recognizing when you have a square peg and a round hole, how do you get more square pegs into square holes and, and round pegs into round holes? That's great advice because we often are thinking just about our job that we're doing whatever the job that's given to us and you want to do it 100% amazingly well. But what you are basically alluding to is that that's not how you thrive or even succeed and be happy at work, right? That's not the only aspect. You actually have to think about work as sort of your life, right? In a way that like you make friends, like you have relationships outside work. Similarly, you know, making relationships at work is is a key to, you know, having a more fulfilling career. I think that's a great point, Prachi. You, you phrased that really well because a lot of people, for especially in a large organization, a lot of people forget that how important it is to network internally and not just externally. We talk often and think often about external networks and getting to know executives and, and people in the right positions uh, and there's really value in getting to know just your your colleagues, even the ones you don't work with regularly, getting to know people in organizations who may not appear powerful. I've actually found that to help me land deals and promotions and things, right? To, to know people who you didn't expect um, because it comes back to being able to just better understand an, an entire ecosystem uh, instead of being very, t- instead of applying tunnel vision. Let's pivot to your current job. Uh, what do you do at WaveGrid? If, you know, tell us more about how your typical week looks like. My current role at WaveGrid as the Director of Business Development and Strategy is, is really one where I'm focused on being a matchmaker between different stakeholders in the EV and electricity ecosystem. So the biggest stakeholder in that can be utilities who are trying to grow their electric vehicle adoption while 
maintaining very high grid reliability, low costs, and meeting new ambitious policy goals, such as renewables integration. Our role then is that WeaveGrid provides a software that can optimize for multiple variables and, and adapt to changing grid conditions, especially with, uh, with more cars entering into the system on an electrified basis. And that can include also driver behaviors changing. And so today, for example, you see the vast majority of charging happening at the home, uh, but that behavior will potentially change as infrastructure grows. And so WeaveGrid is prepared to adapt to that and help utilities really optimize around having charging used most effectively while meeting all of their their grid objectives. That's great. I think, um, yeah, I, I've spoken to you about this before, Smriti, and it's really cool what WeaveGrid is trying to do. It is a great space to be in right now, uh, especially with the transportation sector changing so much. It has changed a lot even the last two years, despite the pandemic happening and despite oil prices crashing so much, you would think that people are buying more gasoline cars, but that's not what's happening. You know, uh, countries have committed to being net zero, right? And companies, automakers, every day they're coming in and announcing new targets to electrify their uh, new models, right? So it's, it's very interesting. The space, it's growing tremendously. A lot of startups, are trying to uh, kind of capitalize on this market at the same time, provide solutions, right, to help this adoption become a reality. So it's great, uh, you know, the things that you're doing, it's, it's really awesome. On EV adoption, one thing that's been so very exciting to see, 2020 was one of the first years where we had quarters that electric vehicle sales in some sectors outstripped the traditional uh, gas-powered vehicles. And the first few weeks of the Ford Maquis release, the pre-sales outstripped all of electric vehicles in 2020. So, so we're really seeing like the mainstream audience, you know, getting excited about electric vehicles just because they're good cars. Yeah, totally. I, I agree with you. I cover EVs as well. And, you know, it's, it's really exciting to talk, talk about it, especially because today, um, you're looking at these traditional automakers announce popular models like the Ford F-150 in the electric version, right? Which as a consumer, if I love that product and if I can buy a more advanced version uh, that has cooler features and in some time is, is going to give me more incentives, right? All these things put together, it is going to really help in EV adoption as opposed to just having, you know, a few cool startups doing... Uh, doing a few things. We we need it all. It's it's a cliche, but I hear those things and I can't help thinking the future is now. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Um, so going back to your job, um, you met, you know you you spoke about what you do. Uh, what do you like most about your job, and what is the thing that you like least about your current job? Well, easily what I like best is that I've never been so impressed by a product and team as this one, which is saying a lot. I've I've been very fortunate to work on cool things, but but WeaveGrid, I think, is you know thinking about solving all of the right solutions in in the right way, and the the team is just 
blows my mind as, as we keep hiring at each new person. I'm, I'm amazed by the, the talent and passion and motivation of the people in this group. So, so now I thrilled to go to work every day at WeaveGrid and, and to see the, the progress that we're making. Uh, least favorite part of my job, you know, anyone who's ever participated in an RFP, I, I have to say that's always a, a slog and it is a very real and important part of the utility sales journey. But uh, RFPs, I think, are a especially difficult for an industry that is innovating. It's a it's a buying design that that makes a lot of sense for a very standardized product that you know several vendors sell something similar. But when programs are being newly designed and have a lot of different elements to make decisions on for what implementation will look like, um, the RFP process becomes particularly difficult to navigate. So, you know, I, I just want to get on the phone with folks. <laughs> I definitely advise anyone who is ever in a hiring position to always hire people smarter than you. That is how organizations grow and get better. So when I say that I learn from people, it's it's not just the folks who have been in the industry for, for 30 years. I, I hire people smarter than me and, and I learn from my team every day. I think that's, that's great. Um, when I look at hiring within oil and gas, I like people to have a base understanding of geology and sometimes about reservoir engineering. But when I look at the exciting things that are happening in other industries, people who are adopting different technologies or they're working in the biomedical field and they look at problems just a little bit differently. Yeah. That type of passion, that type of curiosity and ingenuity, I think can add so much value into the energy space. Um, are you actively recruiting in, in ways like that also? Or do you see that in your sector? Yeah. We've been uh, actively recruiting and thinking across atypical areas to, to talk to people, right? And so trying to find folks with, with backgrounds we may not have expected, so potentially from other industries. Uh, we have a lot of people who have become experts, perhaps on a particular technical area, uh, like database engineering, for example, and, and have done a lot of that and have never applied that in the energy sector. And, and are motivated to find something where they can make an impact on the world or looking for something mission driven. And like, this is a, a great place for us to come together. Yeah, to be as creative as we can about, you know, when what's a gating function for hiring uh, and, and have as few of those as possible. I think that's great. I think that is such a great tradition, transition, excuse me, from the traditional roles that we saw in the 50s and the 60s and the, the corporate worker, the factory mindset that not only have we seen with teleworking and a lot of remote working opportunities that you can have brain power across the globe, but you can also have them in these different disciplines. And I think that that's when we look at diversity culturally across the board, all types of diversity really create a better world for all of us. Yeah. Give people the opportunity to surprise you. I like that. I love it. And on those lines, like you mentioned, right? We might not have the cookie cutter resumes for a particular job that we are interested in. You know, all of us want to learn and grow and try to do different things. And sometimes it's different from what we have done so far. So what are your tips to pursue such jobs? For instance, if someone wants to get into business development, uh, you know, kind of do what you are doing, um, what are your tips in 
for someone like me who hasn't done it so far and would like to do it? So, so to dive in on something very concrete, uh, first, of course, ask yourself why BD or why what X insert role objective here. Um, but once you've answered that question, that should tell you a bit about like what are the skills that you currently have that you can then want you want to transfer into BD or what do you want to to learn and what what's motivating you to get there, right? And so then when you're looking for the specific steps to create that pathway for yourself to make a transition, it could be adjacent roles that meet your current skills best and support business development and, and support company growth. And so you can start to get more exposure on that side, uh, potentially take on more projects on that side and, and build your skill set to make a transition that way. And, and I would think creatively about that because one thing that I think people don't consider enough is being on the buy side, right? On the sales side, I love to hire people who are from the buy side. I've been on the buy side and it makes a big difference to, to know how any project is going to be evaluated to, to get into the negotiator's mindset on, on both sides of the table. Um, so I would think, think broadly about what being adjacent to, to BD means and, and start there. So what you're essentially saying is try to recognize opportunities where you are currently, right? Trying to identify things you can do currently at your current job or in adjacent teams to sort of learn and grow a little towards the direction that you want to go, right? Sure. And it doesn't have to be where you are currently. You can make a step function change sometimes by joining another organization, uh, but you it depends on how far... Uh, any individual is from their target role, right? So if you want to get into to BD where you, what, what are your hurdles? And and it could be one step function change would be to, to get into marketing and, and the next step is to get into BD. Um, or if you've been, had some exposure to deal making, but it wasn't in a BD context at all, or wasn't in a buy side context, maybe you have enough that really can make the case for, for getting right into a BD role. Um, it, it depends on the step functions that, that you're trying to do. So it might be something that someone can achieve in their current role at their current organization, uh, or maybe something that they may need to, to shift in. But I, I would still think about what the, to, to chart a, a basic pathway. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And that's a great point um, in terms of, I guess, what you can do at your company or at another company. One thing that I found personally very helpful is um, volunteer work for, let's say, YPE, for instance, in my case. Uh, you know, being the VP of marketing at YPE for the last six months or so, I've had, I've got to meet so many fun people in the energy sector, you know, got to know them personally, their aspirations, and um, have gotten opportunities to organize events, to meet cool people like yourself and Tyler, and get to know a little more, right, about people in the sector. So for you, Smriti, um, what are some of the volunteer activities or extracurricular, so to say, things you've done that uh, that helped you grow? Well, I think incorporating a mission-driven approach to my whole life like makes me love a lot of volunteer work that, that's community-driven and that can include things like Habitat for Humanity, tutoring people at different stages, working in soup kitchens. I've done a lot of stuff and like met really interesting people that way. And, you know, who are doing, taking different approaches to, to being mission driven in their lives. And, and I think that I learned from that and can, can apply it to our sector too. Uh, 
being specific to the the energy sector, I think there are a lot of interest-driven groups that that can be interesting for you know be the right fit for different people. So for me, I'm you know involved in uh, We Rise. W Rise is for women in renewable energy. Uh, there are some local communities that I'm part of for uh, female MBAs in the energy sector. Um, there's there's a global organization that I really enjoy that's uh, for leaders who are trying to make a, an impact on different social goals. And so that has energy leaders and outside. Uh, so that's been a really interesting organization. And, and I think this be going back to being both opportunistic and intentional and finding that blend to, you know, finding people. Find, where, where's your hive? Right, the find the people that are you know excited and engaged in a way that you are. Yeah, I I totally agree. I mean, honestly, it is great to even just be a participant. But if you can organize, you know, be a volunteer and organize something, that's a great way to actually experience things more closely. And I found that very fulfilling. And I'm impressed by how well different chapters of YPE work together, like you're seeing on this podcast. I think that's been a, a real strength of YPE so that, you know, frankly, we're a mobile people now, right? Everyone's shifting around. Um, people are trying to work together across different geographies more and more. And, and I think that the interwoven nature of YPE's chapters is, is a huge asset for the organization. Can you talk a little bit about what you found most valuable during your time in YPE during grad school? The, the interconnection between different sectors of energy that are sometimes seen as opposed to each other is so important. And it's a big, that dialogue is a big part of what I remember being really important in business school in general. As, as we did a lot of joint problem solving, it's a really interesting question to think about how can YPE further foster more of those conversations and, and bring people together across sectors because we do often have habits of becoming very focused on our niches and, you know, subsectors, which is only to say I support the goal and I don't have a super concrete idea about how to get there. No, it's, it's a great answer. I mean, I think it's maybe one of the best answers, just the current state of answers rather, because it's something for us to figure out. And uh, like divisiveness is, is a thing, but there are areas where we, we can collaborate. We can have the same conversations or even at a very root level that, like we're people who need energy. And yeah. I was taught in school, you're a petroleum engineer, but really at the root of it, you're an energy engineer. And so look at yeah. the problems in that scale. And it might be oil, it might be natural gas. Geothermal has all of our same technologies. What other areas can we be in service to people who need energy? I think that's an excellent framing. That's that's a that's a great way for a lot of people to think about their their own skill sets and careers, right? Where we're taught something is really myopic and, and it can actually benefit broadly. When we see a person excelling in their career, we often don't realize all the disappointments, failures, and internal roadblocks they had to overcome to be here today. Um, could you share with us that phase of your life and how you were able to forge ahead? I am so grateful that you asked this question because it, especially in our social media world where we're always sharing our happiest moments, it is really 
valuable to look back and say, that is actually not how life plays out. And when I was thinking about an answer to this question, like I almost can't narrow down, you know, the, the disappointments and failures to like pick a story to share here. So I'll go to my, my go-to story on this is when I had an offer rescinded right before graduation, you know, I was headed towards finishing business school, was excited about this new startup that I was going to be supporting and was going to move to the Bay Area um, and, and just felt like everything was rosy. And the evening before graduation, got a phone call from the company and they had to rescind my offer because it turned out it was contingent on them closing financing, which didn't happen. And I felt pretty burned and sad and confused. And, and it was hard. And it was, of course, also like a day that we're supposed to be celebrating graduating and, and didn't quite know what to do. I went to the career office. She was literally locking up because it's not like anyone came to the career office before graduation. <laughs> and, and I saw this woman stepping out uh, to, to head towards her car. And I was like, wait, I really need help right now. And, and she gave me the best advice. She's like, I know you feel sad, but pull yourself up. You need to go out there and tell everyone you know like what happened. Because especially when you're at least in a, in a sea of peers, right? You're, you haven't graduated yet. You're still surrounded by peers. They have just turned down offers, right? So several of those people got more than one opportunity and, and had to pick one, which means they know where the openings still are. <laughs> Where was there something really interesting? And and it just motivated me to get back in the game and just say, you know what, I, you know, I own that when I accepted that offer in the first place, I was at a stage in my life where I felt I could take real risks. And a risk comes with downside. So I was experiencing the downside. I can take ownership of that decision in my life and say, I can absorb that and, and move forwards and, and push ahead. Um, I had planned to do a, a road trip to move to the Bay Area. So I did that road trip anyways. I, I did have to stop for like some phone interviews along the way, which was sometimes a journey in finding reception <laughs> in, in rural parts of the country. But, but I'm really grateful that uh, I took that moment. And, and frankly, in the end, that's how I, I found Enernock. And so I found a better fit for myself. Um, I, I learned a lot from the experience of, of absorbing that risk and, and owning the, the decisions that I made. That's a, that's a great story, Smriti. I especially love your point over here about make, taking ownership. Because very often when we, are, when we witness what happens to us, we kind of start blaming about, hey, this happened because of this person or this, this, this happened to me, right? But a lot of times when you take ownership and kind of see what you can do about things and what you know your decisions have led to, that kind of somehow gives you more confidence of moving ahead. So absolutely, so yeah. And that. I that startup, yeah. I felt for that startup. It's not like they were in a, a happy place either, right? They were trying to struggle to get to their next stage. So I certainly didn't blame them. And and yeah, it was just about pressing forwards. So yeah, and I think that that personal agency, we oftentimes, particularly out of, particularly out of undergrad or even later in life, we look at these gatekeepers and traditional gatekeepers that you have to apply to a job in this particular manner and apply to this job board. I can't think of the last time that I got a job from a job board. 
And it's been through conversations, through different avenues of presenting myself in different ways. And yeah, that I think I would give that advice to other people too, is to to really look at, yes, there's a traditional way to do things, but as you did in that parking lot, sometimes it's a simple step like that. You don't have to create this whole magical universe. It's just asking a person a question. Yeah, there's the energy startup cost of getting yourself moving <laughs> that can make a difference. And there's there's sometimes that like one lever that that's the push that you need, right? And and so for me it was someone in a parking lot that I could grab. <laughs> right. That's amazing. I have a more broad question. And that's are you optimistic about the the future of the world, about the energy future, about how we can address climate change and create a habitable world for your daughter it depends on the day you know i am an optimist by nature i i come to work every day to make a difference and and i do it because i believe we are making a difference and and i really really do and then on some days i look at <laughs> some of the data and say oh there's going to be real problems that are unavoidable you know 2 degrees is is not a target for we continue life as it is today. And that's even if we accomplish not warming beyond two degrees. Um, it's why in an early question, I gave the example of people should be working on carbon capture. You know, people should, should work on those, be working on those bigger solutions that sound like sci-fi experiments and, and could be a very real part of, of having a, a future world be something that is comfortable um, while also changing our definitions of comfortable. Right. I think there are ways that we will will change our lifestyles and that's OK. That's not a bad outcome. So that's what brings me back to being optimistic is is remembering that there is a lot in our control as communities and in our expectations um, that, that we can adapt in more than one way. So I don't know what the future looks like, but but we'll get there one way or another. <laughs> I think that when I hear you talking about that, I the words that come to mind are, are dreams and thinking about when I was a kid or thinking about my nephews now of dreaming about what the world could possibly be and then having these visions and then beginning to dig in and do the work and to see, can I do something here? And it's that type of imagination that I, I really hope that we continue to, to foster in ourselves and in society as a whole, because the world is changing and in any number of degrees and be nice to do something about it. Yeah, and every day we meet more people who are, right? Like the the work's happening, the the industries are growing bigger, there are new industries popping up all the time. Uh, frankly, that's been the other through line of my career is is working on something that's new to the grid to deal with. And and how do we bring in this this new asset and and so that's really exciting to me is that, you know, you can work on something new and then very quickly see it become something effective and implemented and no longer new how much time did it take for solar to go from you know something you'd, you'd never heard of and was an innovative risk to being mainstream right it's it's amazing and, and changes is ha changes are happening quickly um you know we we're just talking about how electric vehicles you know used to feel like something that you know are potentially inaccessible to folks that is changing drastically you know People are every day learning that you leave home with a basically full tank of gas if you're charging at home. 
and and that's great and like makes a makes a big difference right like how you think about ranges is is evolving so yeah i i'm really excited that there there's enough cool work that's happening in the world that you know we'll we'll pull this off that's that's motivating so it was great because when when you guys were talking i was just remembering jetsons i don't know if you've watched that show growing up uh and Most definitely. You know, yeah. So when you're growing up, you're like, oh, that sounds so fun and cool. And it's not real. That's what you think. Right. But the way things are going, I feel like that could become a reality. <laughs> you know, maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. Who knows? Right. And when when you were discussing this, I actually had a cool question come up in my mind. Imagine 20 years down the line imagine a futuristic world how 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 would you describe it, your dream futuristic world well first of all every single time i drive into new york all i want is a car that turns into a suitcase so i will pull out some of that jetsons technology in a second um but i i think a really like wonderful future world would be something that is 100% renewable powered something where we actually have a very strong public transit system. So we've talked about electric vehicles, but I think that there are a lot of ways that we can make transportation more efficient. I'm excited to see that grow. I I would love a world where just communities feel more interconnected, where people are are used to to thinking about their their impact on larger groups, right? And and I think that's gonna make a big difference in our technology. so I, I, there's there's changes that are happening outside of the clean energy sector that that are going to improve us on on that front too. That's awesome, Tyler. Do you want to answer this question as well? It's a fun question. What does my ideal future city look like in 2040 or 2050? Sure. Yeah. There are a lot of components to a city that I would want, and right now a lot of what I'm thinking towards is not energy specific. Energy enables so much, and it is the the baseline of of a good life. A city for me, though, is about the civilization, about the people, and about the ideas that are shared within it and the diversity of it. And I think we've seen all throughout time the wealth of minds that when they come together, what we create and to understand somebody's story that is different from ours, from every walk of life. and those are the types of cities that I that I dream about because every time I travel around the world, I get so much more. When I was in China, I was in 115 degrees in Sichuan province and a woman offered me a popsicle. And I had so much more of a rich cultural experience there than I did in Chengdu with 15 million people and Bentley's a dime a dozen at the, the five-star hotel. And that, at the root of it, we're all about connection. And that's the type of city that I want. And I want for kids to play. And kids aren't born with hatred in their hearts. They're born with curiosity. And I want cities that that foster that. And yeah, access to clean energy, clean water, the basic livable things are necessary for that. And hopefully through that, we can begin to have open exchange of dialogue and acceptance of people. Yeah, we haven't even talked about water. Water's, <sighs> water worries me. <laughs> 
um, and is definitely also ripe for for innovation. Uh, but I, I love that story about the the popsicle too. Like my most memorable travel experiences have been those small moments and interactions with someone who does not speak your language at all, uh, and will go out of their way to to help you with something really simple that that really matters. Yeah, the humanity is so rich. Yeah. A little Japanese woman chased me down at when I was like at Mount Fuji and didn't speak a word of English and was just like gesturing at me. And a cop came over to explain that she was worried I didn't have a jacket. And if I was going on the mountain, it was going to be cold when I went higher. <laughs> I was like, no, I have one in my backpack. I'm okay. <laughs> but like, how sweet. So sweet and thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that seems like a great way to end up this discussion. Really heartfelt answers from both of you. And I think it was wonderful um, about our view of the future of cities. But as we are wrapping up, Smriti, is there anything else you would like to share that we missed discussing today? I was thrilled to meet both of you and, and to have this talk. Thank you so much for, for including me. Uh, I, was, I was touched by your outreach. Thank you for coming on and discussing with us. Yeah, uh, thank you for being there, Smriti. And, you know, I think it was a very vulnerable and authentic discussion. So thanks for opening your heart to us and discussing your, your career journey. For those of you who tuned in, thank you. I hope you found Smriti's story inspiring and useful as you navigate your own careers. We would love to hear comments on how we did and suggestions for topics for us to cover in the future. Thanks again for joining. Stay safe and stay tuned for more exciting content. Bye for now.